Welcome back to South African Border Wars with me, your host, Des Latham. This is episode 82. It's September 1985 and the SA Air Force and ground forces have already shot down two Russian helicopters and an Antonov transport plane. That was an attempt at slowing down an MPLA ground assault using its planned troops against UNITA at Mavinga. If you remember, this was the Angolans' Operations Second Congress. On the 29th of September, 3-2 Battalion ground team near Quito Guanavali radioed the SA Air Force operations of a helicopter formation that had just taken off bound for the battle zone around Mavinga. This was a mixed formation, two MI817 transport choppers escorted by MI25 gunships. The Impalas were scrambled and headed at low altitude to the targets, which were picked up along the Lomba River. The Russian choppers were flying at 3,000 feet above ground level, AGL, and the MR817 formation was in what's called a trailing echelon, about 1,000 meters apart. Also about 1,000 meters behind them were the two MR25s flying in support, and they were also flying at 3,000 feet. The first pair of Impalas launched their attack, and then the second, with devastating consequences for the chopper pilots and the crews. All four were shot down. A third pair of Impalas, who were monitoring, watched as two MiG-23 fighter jets approached at 200 feet above ground level. Then they swept their wings back, accelerated and climbed out of sight. They preferred to avoid dogfighting the South Africans. After the four choppers were downed, the MPLA stopped flying helicopters so openly into southern Angola. But the assault on UNITA continued unabated, led by Russian General Konstantin Korotchkin by late 1985. Large quantities of modern Russian weapon systems were delivered, including aircraft, which had been taken from Russia's strategic reserve. Moscow also sent about 1,000 advisors to train Angolan troops and to assist with command posts. More about these folks in a moment. 2,000 East Germans had boosted Vapla's intelligence and telecoms capacity as well, and there were 7,000 Swapo soldiers and around 900 ANC MK troops who joined this assault over the months. There's some dispute about these numbers, but we'll stick with them for now. The ANC's MK had been training in Angola, and these cadres were based at Luena and Quito Guanavali. The latter was gaining importance as an air support center and a strategic town. While the Russians were beefing up their top brass and bringing more men and equipment into the country, the SADF had its own plans. On the 1st of December 1985, Operation Order No. 1-12-85 required 3-2 Battalion to inflict maximum damage on FAPLA personnel and equipment in the 3rd and the 6th military regions by sustained bombardment, they said. This was easier said than done. The main targets were Quito Quanavali and the airstrip at Menong. There were also specific instructions to target the FAPLA forces as soon as they began moving towards Jamba using the all-important multiple rocket launchers or MRLs. 3-2 was warned not to let these fall into enemy hands. Colonel Eddie Fulyun commanded this part of the operation targeting Menong, both the MRL troop along with Charlie Company, while Captain Don van der Merwe led an MRL troop and Golf Company as they attacked Quito Guanavali. Ten years earlier, 3-2 had deployed around Menong during Operation Savannah. Now they were going back. On the 15th of December, four MRLs were flown to Rundu from Vitekloof Air Force Base, Everything was set to roll on Christmas Eve. There was a hitch. Major Holzhausen, who commanded the MRLs, told Fulun he could not guarantee any accuracy because they had been sent maps from 1972. 
These were obviously hopelessly out of date, and he needed specific grid references of these targets if his rockets were to strike anything. Colonel Fulun phoned Swatov HQ and was allowed the use of the SatNav service top secret as it was. But there was another problem. No one in Rundu knew how to use the SatNav. So Fulun then called Swatov HQ once more and was told an arms corps instructor would be flown in. All good. Except it wasn't. Dawn on Christmas Day and no sign of any arms corps plane. Fulun had a fit and telephoned Army Chief Lieutenant General Yanni Heldnes to complain. That did have an effect. At 1100 hours, a Cessna Citation Bizjet landed at Rundu with Arms Corps instructors on board, and by 1500 hours, the MRL teams had been instructed on how to use the SATNAV. That night, the gun crews and 3-2 battalion company vehicles began crossing into Angola over a specially built pontoon bridge north of Rundu. Unita had sent Captain Venino to guide 3-2 towards their target, and they headed almost due north. They were delayed at Kasombo while Unita vacillated about granting permission to the special forces. This took four days. Eventually, on the 30th of December, Jonas Savimbi Ajamba passed on his message to Ponta Verde, where 3-2 were now waiting, granting them permission to go. The company wasn't going in alone. Unita then assigned a company under Major Hunda to escort 3-2 all the way up to Menong. The problem was, Major Hunda was AWOL. No one could find him. Instead of waiting around doing nothing, 3-2 decided to train its members to help load the 127mm MRL rockets and also train the leader group in how to use the SatNav. Pretty much everyone knows these days how to use SatNav systems, but back in 1985 this was new tech. The interface was particularly difficult to understand. It was a bit like a black box. During the training, one of the troops then broke his hand and Captain Hermann Mulder collapsed with a kidney infection. So the SA Air Force was called to fly Kazavak, but as they say, it never rains at pause, and in this case, literally. The Puma sent to Kazavak, the men arrived during a deluge, and the chopper hit a tree while landing, breaking off its rear rotor blade. 3-2 camouflaged the bits of chopper and waited for spares. The next day, an arms corps team was flown in and replaced the Puma rear rotor and tailpiece. This operation was so secret that the arms corps tiffies were told that the Puma was flying in support of UNITA, and the 3-2 leader group hid away in the bush, while other 3-2 black Portuguese-speaking soldiers helped with the lifting and placement of the Puma parts. By 2300 hours 50, the Puma was ready and flew back with the two casualties. While all of this was going on, Alpha Company, under Captain Fred Turner and joined by UNITA and Captain Van der Merwe, was already further northwest and approaching Quito, Guanavale. There were two multiple rocket launchers hidden away at Mavinga, and it was hoped that Alpha would pick them up en route to the strategic town. By the 4th of January 1986, Alpha Company under Captain Turner reached a position to the west of Mavinga and set up a temporary camp awaiting orders to advance. These two companies were going to be attacking virtually in tandem, but in two completely different areas, in Menong and Quito. Just before they arrived in Mavinga, though, Major Handa pitched up back at Ponte Verde and announced he was ready to lead Fulun to Menong. Fulun then broke up his force into three groups. He named them Mexico, Luengo and Verde for the rocket attack on Menong. Mexico was comprised of Fulun's command group, UNITA guides and liaison officers, four MRLs and crews, a medical officer, four Samuel 100 anti-mine vehicles which carried 100 MRL rockets each, and Charlie Company. This was the main force for the upcoming op. 
Luengo was led by Sergeant Dave Dutoy and was the logistic support team with a recovery vehicle and mortar platoon, while Verde Group was led by Sergeant L. Lindungu and was to function as a reserve element back at Ponte Verde. By the morning of the 7th of January, Mexico and Luengo groups moved to a position 30 kilometers southwest of Minong, where they were then ordered to halt. Swatev HQ, Commanding Officer Major General Georg Mehring, radioed that Reckes had destroyed nine FAPLA support vehicles on the main road between Kuyatir and Luasinga in the Menong area. A FAPLA soldier had been captured and was being interrogated to find out more about Menong. Further northwest, Captain Turner's Alpha Company and the MRLs had been mobilized. These teams were now ready to bombard Quetoquana Valley on the night of the 8th of January 1986. The first ripple of 96 rockets were fired off at midnight, then another 96 at 0200 hours 35. The Angolans fired back with 13 D-30 artillery shells but missed. Two Russians were killed at the airfield and the runway and buildings were damaged in the bombardment. Fapla also appeared in chaos. The attack had been totally unexpected and the sheer volume of rockets that landed on the strategic town was a shock. Captain Turner ordered Alpha Company and his support teams to lay up for the day, and on the night of 9th of January, they moved 15 kilometers southeast of Kueto Kwanabali. Just as a proper goodbye, the South Africans fired another 96 rockets at 1900 hours 25 from this position, then a fourth ripple at midnight. Job done, they hastened back across the cutline to Buffalo Base. Outside Menong, meanwhile, Captain Fulun moved within 7 kilometers of the firing position on the 7th of January, but the bush was so dense it slowed things down. It took them eight hours to travel 12 kilometers. Then a buffalo was driven between two trees and became wedged. 3-2 wielded a few axes and pangas, and after a couple of hours the trees were felled and they continued to their position, with Sergeant Major Pete Norkia on foot now, making sure the buffaloes wouldn't get stuck again. By 2000 hours on the 8th of January, the MRL was in position and loaded, but they couldn't fire. Technical problems meant they were forced to delay once more, and eventually they did open fire at 2200 hours 30. Fapla artillery inside Menong fired back, but the shells landed miles away to the east. The South Africans then moved the MRL to ensure they remained invisible, but as the team shifted, lights were spotted two kilometers away. The group was ordered to withdraw. The Mexico group, with Fulun in charge, rendezvoused with the Verde group later in the dock, then moved south along the Quito River. Four hours later, just before dawn, a heavy anti-aircraft bombardment was launched from Menong towards them. Then the spotters thought they saw four Russian attack choppers heading their way from the rear. Shouts went out, and Fulun ordered everyone to take cover, but Sergeant Major Norkia's driver appeared to misread the order and took off at full tilt into the open floodplain ahead. A Unita guide had the good sense to leap off the buffle, which was now competing in its own Paris-Dakar rally. Moments later, the vehicle ploughed into the back of the command vehicle. Norkia was thrown out and landed on Fulun's spare wheel. Seconds after this, everyone realised that the helicopters weren't actually helicopters, but traces from an anti-aircraft gun being fired by Fapla some distance away, and the troops calmed down. Fortunately, the buffles were not too severely damaged, and Norkia was fine, no injuries but they still hadn't finished the attack on Menong. The combat teams laid up on the banks of the quietly flowing Quito River for the day, and the rockets were then unloaded from the MRL. But Fapla was not idle. They were scouting close by, and Angolan army tank patrols were spotted by 3-2 reconnaissance members. 
Recky is then contacted for Lund, and there was some discussion about firing off 48 rockets towards a nearby Fapla base called Odessa, but Fulun was worried that there wouldn't be enough left to hit Menong after this, so they waited out the day on the 9th, and then, at around noon, Unita HQ sent a message that there was a powerful Fapla force, including tanks near the Pengo River, about 20 kilometers away from Fulun's laid-up company, heading their way. It was the second time in two days that tanks were seen prowling around. Fulun made the wise decision to stay out of their way, he wasn't armed with any weapons that could deal with a full frontal tank assault. They withdrew to Ponte Verde. There was no way now that they could complete an attack far to the north at Menong. Still, second prize was Fapla's battalion based at Baishalonga, and Valyun radioed Swatov HQ on the 12th of January and asked for permission to attack this target. Baishalonga is around 80 kilometers southwest of Kueto Kwanavari. The base was just west of the Longa River. But Valyun needed backup so you'd have to use the entire 3-2 contingent of Charlie Company, as well as the Reckies assigned to his unit, and Major Hunter's Unita soldiers. They'd break into six groups for this attack, named Dallas, which included 40 men and 16 vehicles, the MRLs, Logistics Support and Charlie Company's Biffles, Verde, which had 20 men and 10 vehicles, Carnation, made up of 180 Unita troops, Abrasion, which were the Special Forces, along with 60 men and 8 vehicles, and 3-2 Battalion's Recce Group and the rest of the UNITA support troops. UNITA or Carnation was going to kick off proceedings with Special Forces providing close support using their 81mm mortars and their heavy machine guns. The Dallas Group would bombard Fopla's base with three MRL Ripple rocket attacks. The plan was to start everything rolling at 1100 hours 40 on the 14th of January with the first bombardment scheduled for then. But on the 13th, as they began moving to their positions, it was raining heavily and UNITA's officers told Fulun they didn't want to go just yet. They were also not happy with the overall idea, saying that the hidden bunkers were going to be a problem and that Fulun had no Kazabak plans. After an hour of debate, UNITA agreed to go. It wasn't going to be that simple. The 3-2 battalion Reckies had made their way a few kilometers north of Ponte Verde already, heading towards Baishalonga. 50 members of UNITA's recce group also headed off to the Pengo River. That night, the MRLs were moved into their firing positions, and now it was up to UNITA to start the attack. After a couple of hours, there was still no sign of them. Fulun was not one for giving up, and at 2200 hours and 5 minutes, he ordered six rockets to be fired on the base as a warning so that any civilians there could escape into the bush. Five minutes later, the MRLs fired off a full bombardment of rockets, and the Rekis reported that all hit the target. Fapla's commander at Baishalonga was picked up radioing Quito Guanavali to report that the situation was very bad and many bombs had fallen. A second full bombardment was fired off at 0225. Then the Dallas group, including Charlie Company and the MRLs, took off southwestly to wait for first light and the full ground assault. But at 0500, the Special Forces commander, whose name I don't have, realized that attacking the base in daylight was going to be a real challenge. So instead, he fired his mortars and other heavy weapons into the base from the high ground to the west. The Angolans, meanwhile, had remained in the base, so that night 3-2 Battalion and their UNITA allies withdrew. The South Africans crossed back over the cut line in the early hours of the next morning, and the next day the MRLs were back aboard a C-160 being flown to Pretoria. 
The assault in Unita did not end, and the Russians were gearing up for a long war of attrition here. Hundreds more critical advisers were to arrive through 1986, setting up the scenario for the major clash between two well-drilled armies, the Russians of the late 1980s and the South African Defence Force. The Russians included men like Colonel Vyacheslav Alexandrovich Mityev, who arrived in March 1986 to serve as an advisor to the Angolan reconnaissance units, and he was stationed in the 6th military district in Manong and Quito, Guanabari. Colonel Mityev was to see action during the various offensives and counter-offensives until the South Africans withdrew in 1989. He had spent two years in Afghanistan in 1979 and 1980. Lieutenant General Leonid Kuzmenko, who was the former Deputy Commander of all Russian airborne troops, the BDV, had replaced Colonel General Konstantin Yakovlevich Kurochkin in 1986 and had asked the Colonel to join him in Angola. Colonel Mityev was part of the Russian 10th Department of the General Staff and advised the Angolan Head of Reconnaissance. His comments about the deployment make for interesting reading. He first worked with the Head of Russian Military Intelligence who was on the Angolan General Staff from Moscow Strategic Intelligence. But Mityev complained this was a useless political position and said, Of all the selection of military advisers in Angola left a lot to be desired. Colonel Mityev was to have a major impact on this war. He realized that the Angolan army was organized into brigades comprised of battalions, three per brigade. But the war was being fought partially conforming to non-conventional strategy and the tactics of paratroopers, he said, were best suited to guerrilla war. It's what the SADF had realized long before, and the use of recce's and 3-2 battalion had created a big headache for the Angolans, the Russians and the Cubans. The Angolan ground forces were all trained in a kind of parapolitical cadre mentality. They would be sent from cadre divisions with their political commissars prevailing. Colonel Mityev realized these divisions were using what he called linear tactics, where they had set out in one direction with one specific aim and managed by a distant commander who had no idea what was going on minute by minute. Remember, the SADF had allowed the NCOs and officer corps to adopt a far more innovative and self-starter approach they could make most decisions on the move for themselves within a broad set of rules of engagement. When they broke these rules, the SADF and SWATF HQ top brass just said they didn't want to know about the dirty secrets. Carry on. Colonel Mityev saw that the Angolans were fighting too slowly, too ponderously. He wanted maneuvers and action on separate axes using battalions and not divisions. So I will return to the Russians in Angola using their published memoirs, telegrams and other source material over the next few podcasts, because what they were doing is extremely interesting. It also informs us now what the Russians are up to in the Ukraine, just out of interest. Some listeners have asked why I have not featured much in the way of Angolan official military reports. One of the major challenges, apart from reading Portuguese, is that none of the combatants call themselves by their names. They use nom de guerre like Vietnam, Ho Chi Minh, Mao and so on. The second problem is that the material is almost pure propaganda. There's very little valuable information about the order of battle and data and so on. Still, I've managed to unearth some source material, which would be useful as the series covers the final days of the border war, particularly the battles for Quito Guanavale. Next episode, we'll hear about a special forces operation into Lubito in early 1986 that led to the sinking of two Russian ships, as well as a Cuban vessel, We'll also take a look at what the ANC's MK was up to in southern Angola. They'd just got over three major mutinies in their training camps, and some were being drafted in to fight against UNITA. They were not happy about this deployment. 
as you'll hear. Please rate the podcast on iTunes. It helps the word spread. By the way, I've got a few new pictures on the website abwarpodcast.com, courtesy of Donovan. So head off there if you're interested. You can also email me from the contact list on the site or direct message me on Twitter at Des Latham. Until next, prospect. Thank you.